First Realm, Season 1, Episode 9. Detromitus, Marcasa, and Lilithap arrived at the venue, ringing the bell at the main entrance, summoning any nearby elders to report as soon as possible. Lilithap placed the two bound supposed humans on the ground, and Detromitus placed the winged creature next to them. Though barely alive, displaying a pale, warped face, the creature was wheezing with an arrow sticking out of its neck. Cloudron arrived first. Detromitus, Marcasa, and Lilithap were relieved to see him, as he would be an excellent elder to handle this strange situation, especially if these beings were looking to cause trouble. Another elder, Jamwi, from one of Horbrid's neighboring Celestines, arrived shortly after Cloudron. What do we have here? Cloudron almost looked amused. He tapped his front right hoof in the middle of the wheezing creature's chest. Did you steal a cornifal? It amused him even more to put on a show like this, given the current level of excitement among the centaurs and felicons over the missing cornifal. We found them in the woods to the west, feeding on a cat. Lilithap was pointing at the pile of creatures while she spoke. When they charged us, it almost looked like... She paused as if she didn't want to finish her sentence, but she knew she couldn't have been the only one who saw it. Like they were morphing their figures while they moved. Really? Cloudron looked serious but interested. I sent one of my arrows to this one's left shoulder. She pointed to one of the supposed humans. I know I didn't miss. It was too easy of a shot. But by the time the arrow reached where the shoulder was, it went right through thin air, and that part of its shoulder wasn't in existence anymore. She stared down at the creatures and then looked up at Cloudron. Until I saw it appear again a moment later. Cloudron was looking at her with his eyebrows raised. He didn't quite look like he didn't believe her, but the story seemed too elaborate for her to make up. Centaurs would have no legitimate reason to lie, and in the unlikely event they did, they had better make sure the lie didn't alter destiny in some way. Lying just wasn't something centaurs did regularly. When we first spotted them, it looked like all three had wings, Marcasa added, remembering seeing them and giving the signal to the rest of the team to cease movement. Cloudron paused for barely a moment before providing guidance. Take them to the dungeon. Weave ropes from some Pythangus skins and bind their wrists and ankles. He casually pointed at the winged one. And bind this one's wings, too. Cloudron motioned toward the dungeon. Jean-Wee will stay with you while I find the other council members. Ison, Jean-Wee nodded in agreement. Detromitus, Marcasa, and Lilithab each grabbed a creature, flinging them over their shoulders, and proceeded to the dungeon with Jean-Wee following. The centaur's hooves stirred up swirls of dust as they clomped on the dirt floor of the dungeon, which was no more than three stone walls with two cages built into one of them. The cage doors were made of tree branches stacked on top of one another horizontally and vertically, with spaces left for viewing the captors and the holding cells. Torches lined the walls, three on each bare wall, one torch on each side of the cages, and one torch in between the two cages. The centaurs gathered some Pythangus skins from the storage space, which was nothing more than a rectangular shape carved into the wall near the ramp that led them down to the dungeon and wove seven ropes to bind the creature's arms, legs, and wings. The creatures all seemed very weak, but very much alive. What are you? Jean-Wee sternly but curiously asked the winged creature. The creature gestured toward the arrow in its neck, and Jean-Wee slowly removed it. She didn't know whether this would kill the creature, but also didn't care. 
The creature moved its head up and down, swallowing hard in each movement, and after about twenty nods, the wound seemed to fuse and the creature shook its head violently, preparing itself to speak. A human! The creature opened its eyes very wide, trying to appear like an innocent victim, and said the words as if Jean-Wi was a complete idiot for asking such a stupid question. No, you're not. Without looking at Detromedus, Marcasa, and Lilithap, Jean-Wi commanded them, Make blindfolds for the creatures. These creatures did not seem like they could be trusted, and who knows what kind of powers they possessed. The Celeste team agreed to separate to cover more ground. Hatch champions and honorees were among this team, so the decision was unanimous among some of these brave and most skilled warriors. Heldefor crept along the eroded shoreline, shivs in hand and archery fully drawn. She could still see archers fanning out as they separated from the rest of the team. A splotch of red caught her eye on her path. It was so small, but something about it was shiny in the sunlight. It looked like a small slither of cloth stained by something red. She knelt down next to it, scanned the area, and reached down to touch it. The deep red shine of the burgundy substance indicated it most likely came from forest berries. The slither of fabric, seemingly something synthetic like what the humans wore, didn't look like anything a centaur or a fairy would have woven. She stood up, closed her eyes, and took a deep breath. The wind was gentle that day, but the breeze gave her just enough ammunition to press forward toward the caves along the shoreline. She patrolled until she saw her first opening. This cave was clearly deep and vast. She could hear the echoes of water dripping in its depths, and the rock beneath her feet was hard and slippery like wet and textured marble. Light-footed, she proceeded with her back to one of the walls, hugging the form of the cave while she scanned the area. She heard a small splash, and it definitely came from something more significant than a drop of water falling into a stream. It sounded like a small satchel being tossed into a shallow body of water. She inhaled and peeked around the protruding cave wall. A tiny, soaking wet cornifal was stepping out of the water, drenched and smiling but slipping on the ledge of the stream. It shook the water out of its fur, lost its balance, and fell over back into the stream again. The little bit of light coming into the cave still illuminated the part of the stream where the cornifal was playing. Heldefor leaned forward to retrieve it, but saw the slightest movement of a shadow around a corner in the back of the cave on the other side of the stream. She silently stepped over the ledge leading toward the stream, landing as softly as a cat would have on her feet, and then shifting to one hand and one knee. The cornifal was still playing and struggling in the water. If she left it there, she knew it would probably just keep falling into the shallow stream over and over again. She hugged the cave wall once again and pursued the shadow. She peeked around the corner and saw a satchel on the ground, looked up, and saw a figure pressed up against the wall in the darkness. "'Who are you?' she calmly but clearly demanded with a trivar resting on her bow pointed directly at the shadow. The figure didn't move, but she could see the resemblance of its form was that of a Saint-June. But a Saint-June would be able to see in this darkness and not assume the cover of darkness would provide any good hiding space. "'Show yourself!' Giving a second verbal command was generous to her standards and to most centaur standards. The figure didn't move. She silently removed the trivar, putting it back in her quiver, and replaced it in her hand with two arrows she kept woven together with silk in her quiver. She put the first arrow in her bow, extended, and drew back. She deployed the first arrow while almost simultaneously loading the second arrow. 
The first arrow stung the figure's flesh near the outer portion of its arm on the side closest to her, the second stinging the flesh of its arm on the opposite side with the tight strings of silk connecting the arrows, causing a corset-like effect anchoring the figure into the wall of the cave. Some fairy awarded her these arrows after the last hatch and sharpened their points so finely that they could penetrate almost any surface. After a split second of silently acknowledging the exquisite craft of the fairy, she relaxed her grip on her bow and took a large step forward, reaching out her arm and grabbing the figure by the neck. The figure groaned in pain, trying to fight her grasp, but losing. She moved her hand to the figure's chin and tilted its face toward her. Immediately, she noticed the figure's signature human-like eyes. Are you Gareth? She asked the question calmly and maintained steady eye contact with the human. The darkness still allowed her to see all of his eye movement despite the fact that he couldn't see her. He didn't answer. He just scowled and shifted his eyes, hoping to see something in the dark, trying to wiggle his chin out of her grasp. By now, the cornifal was standing behind Heldefor's ankles, popping its head out from behind her left calf. Its eyes were wide as if it were watching some sort of show, and the chewed-up, berry-stained shoelace still dangled from its neck. Heldefor threw the human to the ground, ripping through the silk net she used to bound him to the wall. She knelt on the small of his back and holstered her bow. R... You, Gareth. She wasn't so much asking at this point, but merely demanding the human confirm or deny his suspected identity. Yes, Gareth sighed, letting the air out from his lungs, knowing he would have to inhale again, and the pain in his ribs would only become worse. Heldefor reached into her satchel for some silk rope. The cornifal took a seat on Gareth's satchel, sitting crooked on its hind legs, perched on its front legs with one back leg hanging off the side of the satchel. Its tiny wet mane was sticking straight up surrounding its swirly horn, and its head was pushed back into its neck while it watched Heldefor in amazement, eyebrows raised in awe. She bound Gareth's wrists and ankles to each other, forming him into a bow-like shape. He moaned in pain. She swung his satchel over her head so it would balance on her left shoulder and fall to her right side, opened the flap, and placed the cornifal into it. The cornifal's hind quarters and body fit fine, and its head and front legs popped out of the satchel. She turned Gareth over on the ground, scooping him up by his midsection and lifting him in the air. He groaned again, and she swung him over her shoulders and made her way out of the cave. She climbed out of the cave the same way she came in, and headed toward the venue. She saw some forest berries and stopped to pick them for the cornifal, who delightedly took them from her hand and slobbered them all over Gareth's satchel. She stopped by a stream scooped some water in her hand, and let the cornifal drink it. It finished all of it and continued licking her wrist. <laughs> That's enough. She gently pet the cornifal on the head and continued toward the venue. As she climbed a large grassy hill, she could see the venue straight ahead to the east, towering over her at the top of the large hill. She continued to climb, the cornifal now napping in the satchel, and Gareth still moaning and whimpering in pain. Her body stopped moving for a brief moment and her eyes glazed over. Her legs felt heavy and stiff, and the glaze in her eyes made her feel like she was in some sort of trance. She felt a heavy pull in her chest, pulling her to the west toward her Celestine's cave. It was a force like she hadn't felt before. It felt similar to celestial guidance, but extremely intensified. The force tried to make her let go of Gareth and the Cornifal, but there was no way she was going to give in to this. Breathing was now difficult as she fought the mysterious force, and the harder she pushed herself up the hill, 
the more the force pulled her toward the west. Thoughts of her lair filled her mind's eye, and she began to hear a calling, a voice instructing her to turn around and go to her cave. The voice wasn't like any guidance she had received in the past. It almost sounded like her own voice, but more mature. The struggle intensified, and the force she created by resisting the pull and climbing toward the venue was causing cracks in the bones in her legs. Some small shards of bone were breaking her skin, and little streams of blood were left behind in her footprints. All she wanted was to save the cornifal and bring Gareth to justice. Too many lives had been lost already. It ends now. She pushed on. Her eyes were so glazed over that she looked possessed, intensified now with the moon becoming visible in the sky, and her vision was blurry. She finally reached the venue and gently placed her hand over the cornifal's ears to make sure it didn't wake up, and swung the rope under the bell, ringing for elders to come at once. She pushed her forehead against the outside wall of the venue, purposely trapping herself and Gareth there until an elder arrived. Blood was dripping down the wall from the force of her anchored forehead against it to keep herself from succumbing to the pull, and the pain was like nothing she had felt before. Jacobus, Kelha, and Claudrin arrived in a hurry, their hooves stirring dirt while they ran, their eyes growing wider as they recognized Heldefor as the one who rang the bell. Claudrin, seeing Heldefor was in great pain, snatched Gareth from Heldefor's shoulders, tossing the injured human over his own shoulder. Jacobus put one hand on the back of Heldefor's head to cradle it and move it away from the wall, assessing for injuries. Kelha put both hands gently under the satchel, raising it so the strap could easily fit over Heldefor's head, and Jacobus slid the strap over to his wife so she could examine the sleeping cornifal. Jacobus looked into Heldefor's slightly closed eyes. He hadn't seen this glazed look before, but judging by her weak body and incoherence, she seemed as if she may have delayed her own hibernation. The moon was already prominent in the sky, and it was too late to take her to her lair in an attempt to hibernate now. She resisted her destiny in order to bring the cornifal to safety and the human to justice. Heldefor, can you hear me? Heldefor nodded slightly enough for Jacobus to feel the slight movement of her head in his cupped hand. Did you delay your hibernation to return the human and the cornifal? He felt the slightest movement of her head in his hand once more. I will take her to the cave and ask Astromus to summon the fairy. I wonder if there is anything the toads can do. He lifted Heldefor and placed her behind his neck over both shoulders. Kelha followed with the cornifal to bring it to Zostis, who could then summon the felicons. The elders, quite a few now present, discussed the imminent fate of Heldefor, Gareth, and the tiny sleeping cornifal outside of the venue, and trusted each other to handle the situation as a team, as the seasoned warriors they were. Claudrin brought Gareth to the dungeon and found Horbrid, Jamwi, and Lilithap still guarding the other creatures. Heldefor retrieved this human and the newborn Cornifal. Claudrin dropped Gareth to the ground with no regard for his safety or well-being. Gareth screamed in agony and cradled into himself as much as he could, considering his bindings. Was the Cornifal alive? Horbrid walked toward Claudrin while he asked the question. Yes, it seems well, but it was asleep. Jacobus suspects Heldefor may have delayed her hibernation to return them. Horbrid, Jamwi, and Lilithap all looked stunned at this news, hanging their heads in honor of such a hero, but in mourning of whatever tragic fate Heldefor would face. Jacobus and Kelha have the Cornifal and Heldefor at their cave. They will call on the Felicons and the fairy for assistance. Lilithap shook her head. Is there anything we can do? Claudrin responded, 
Your Celestines should continue to guard the prisoners until we figure out what to do with them. Corbrid, Jean-Wi, and Lilithap nodded in agreement. I leave this one to you as well. Cloudron motioned to Gareth laying helplessly on the stone floor. Horbrid and Lilithat brought Gareth into a caged cell and removed his bindings to prepare him for new ones. Cloudron turned around to leave the dungeon, headed for Jacobus's cave. Cloudron, Lilithat called after him. He stopped and turned toward her. Yes? This human appears injured and will be of no use to us, dead or suffering. Could you send a centaur with a toad? Nison, and with that he left the dungeon. Horbrid and Lilithap had just finished Gareth's bindings when Taliar, Cloudron's youngest offspring, arrived with a toad. Still in Sanjin form, she removed the toad from her satchel and handed it to Lilithap. Thank you. Lilithap accepted the toad, commanded it to provide saliva into her hand, and handed it back to Taliar. Is this the human Heldafor found with a newborn cornifowl? Taliar stared at the human in disgust. Yes, thank you for rushing the toad to us. This human has caused so much damage and pain to the Felicons. It didn't seem he would be as much use to us unless he was well enough to answer questions. Also, it would be unbecoming of a centaur to inflict pain or death on something that couldn't fight back. And this one's probably going to have to fight back soon. Lilithap remembered when Taliar was born around 15 summer solstices ago. She hoped Taliar would learn from these recent events and carry Cloudron's warrior reputation into her generation of centaurs. That's what my father says, too. Taliar smiled and returned the toad to her satchel. I will take this back to our pond now. I don't know how long they can last out of the water. The toad croaked, burying its head in the corner of the satchel and refusing to look at her through the opening of the satchel, and Taliar left the cave. Heldafor rested on a bed made of the feather cloaks donated by the champions of the most recent hatch. The black feather bed looked morbid but attractive at the same time. Heldafor's parents, my aunt and uncle, were among the many guests at our cave. It was too far of a journey to bring her to her own cave, so it was agreed upon that she would rest here under the protection of the fairy, Versus, Zostis, my family, and the tiny cornifowl who refused to leave her side. It was now sleeping under her arm, nestled into her ribs on the Pythangus feather bed. Zostis had just arrived with the Felicon elders, who stood over Heldafor, pleased to see their cornifowl alive, but not wanting to disturb any of its much-needed rest. Senali, Trapezu, and Yosifin knelt beside Heldafor's bed, thanking her in prayer for bringing Timari back safely. Heldafor was awake, but so weak she could barely speak. She closed her eyes and nodded slightly to acknowledge their gratitude. Senali, Trapezu, and Yosifin bowed their heads to join the prayers of the dozens of fairy hovering over Heldafor's bed, among them Pagatan, Gavasis, and Muhammad. The fairy created a canopy of flowers strung together, cascading in strings below the leafy garland tapestry. As they prayed, they scattered flower petals over Heldafor, as is tradition for the fairy to do this during prayer for those still alive. They believe the petals absorb the prayers, keeping them among those they pray for, allowing the prayers to remain with them for as long as possible. Could toad saliva help her? Destina asked, clearly desperate to assist in Heldafor's recovery. No, my mother already gave it to her to try. She resisted destiny by delaying her hibernation. It seems her punishment was to lose her strength in this life. It is too soon to tell if she will also lose her privilege to serve among the stars after death. 
I felt the words coming out of my mouth, but they felt so void of attachment, so matter-of-fact. I did not mean for them to come out that way. I wondered how the other centaurs felt. I would like to join the fairy and Felicon elders in prayer, if that's all right, Destina looked at me. Of course, she needs all the prayers she can get, and so does her family. Colton and Destina joined the unicorns and fairy in prayer around Heldefor. I walked over to my mother, who was with Heldefor's parents, standing silently near Heldefor's resting place. I whispered, Mother, did you empty Gareth's satchel? She looked at me confused and whispered, No. May I? Of course, she whispered and pointed to the corner where she left the satchel. I walked over to it, picked it up, and brought it back to my lair. I emptied the contents onto the table that I carved for when Destina, Colton, and I gather in my lair to talk and eat. A small vial of unicorn blood, probably Cornifal knowing Gareth, and a small sack with what appeared to be residual ashes. I left the satchel on the table and brought the sack and blood to Versus. Versus was standing behind the Felicon elders with her back to the prayer ritual. She was accompanied by Cloudron as they agreed to serve as the last line of defense for Heldefor and the unicorns, should any threat arise. Versus, I whispered. She looked down at me and gently smiled. Yes, Astromus. In Gareth's satchel, I found a vial of unicorn blood and some ashes. Versus looked very interested. You can give them to me, and I will return them to the Felicon elders after prayers. I handed her the vial and the ashes. Prayers lasted through the night, into the sunrise, and until nine ticks passed the center of the sundial. The sun was bright, and, though no less exhausted and in pain, Heldefor was speaking to the Felicon elders. Senali gently nudged Timari with her snout, and Timari's eyes watered. She whimpered, nudging Heldefor with her snout and burying her head into Heldefor's side. Senali smiled gently. How unusual for a Cornifal to cry. Heldefor, it seems Timari has chosen to remain with you. I trust you will care for each other. Senali was now standing, and the other Felicon elders lifted themselves to join her. Zostis and the other Cornifal will also remain here to assist you. Pagatan squeaked something to the Felicon elders, gesturing toward Heldefor and Timari. Pagatan will also remain with you. We will return soon to visit again. Senali, Trapezu, and Yasafin turned toward Versus, whose facial expression indicated that she needed to speak with them about something. What is it? Trapezu, head tilted, looked into Versus's eyes. In Gareth's satchel, we found a vial of unicorn blood and some ashes. We are returning these items to you with great reverence. She held out her hand with the two items. Thank you, Versus. These items mean a great deal to our Felicons, especially those unicorns who suffered the losses of their mates and offspring. Would you please put the items in Zostis's care? She would be in the best position to guard them until we know we are all safe. Yasafin received nods from Senali and Trapezu. Thank you again for the efforts of your centaurs and for coming to us as soon as you heard any news. Of course. Versus bowed her head in respect to the Felicon elders, and, with that, the unicorns departed the cave. Destina was kneeling next to Heldefor, eyes closed, head down, still praying and meditating. Heldefor reached out her arm to touch Destina's shoulder. When she felt the tap, Destina opened her eyes and grasped Heldefor's hand with both of her hands. Yes, Heldefor, is there something I can do for you? Heldefor's voice was weak, and she spoke slowly sometimes closing her eyes to rest in between thoughts. We must teach you humans to fight. 
Oh, Heldefor, we are not warriors or fighters. Heldefor cut her off. We must teach you to defend yourselves. My father reported the dungeon is filling with strange humans acting in manners inconsistent with you. Gareth is with them, and they seemed to know each other. Strange humans? Destina asked, shaking her head, trying to understand what Heldefor was trying to say. Colton was listening and added his hand to Destina's in holding Heldefor's. Yes, you may teach us. He looked at Destina as if this could be a dying wish for Heldefor, or possibly some sort of prophecy. All right, Destina agreed hesitantly. She smiled. Ison, 